The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hello again, everyone. This is the Fitness uh, Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training, where we put movement ahead of workouts. And my guest today is Don Cacao. She is joining us all the way from Great Britain. You know, right in the middle of her day's coming to an end. Mine's just beginning, and she's just gracious enough to sit down and talk to me and talk to us all. And Dawn is a nutritional therapist. She is a weight loss coach. She is an, an author as well. So she's here to talk to us about all things having to do with nutrition and weight loss and all that stuff that just mystifies so much of us. So Dawn, thanks so much for coming well, on. Thank you, Sean. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So what I like to do is just like, so people have a frame of reference. Um, start. I like to ask people like where they come from, what their background is, and um, what really kind of just brought us all today talking. Okay, so for me, it wasn't a really kind of straightforward path. There were sort of several different threads that were involved in it. So maybe a really good place to start is with my personal story around eating. That sounds great. Um, Okay, so for me, it all started quite young. I mean, I had a terrible, terrible relationship with food. If any of your listeners think they've got a bad relationship with food, mine was probably, you know, about as bad as it can get, really, I guess. So when I was seven, my family went to live in the Caribbean. And it was very laid back there. We had the school I went to had just two classrooms and 12 children. We ran around barefoot all the time. We spent the weekends at the beach. You know, rain was so rare that when it rained, we put on our swimsuits and ran and played in the rain. So which is really weird for English children to get excited by rain. But that that was what it was like for us. (laughs) Then this all changed um, a few weeks after my 10th birthday. My family stayed in the Caribbean and my mum flew back to England with me and put me in boarding school there. And so she left me at the school and I didn't see her or the rest of my family for three and a half months. So until the Christmas holidays. And it was, I mean, it was a real culture shock for me. I was a very anxious child anyway. And I think I just sort of went into a bit of shock. I was was in this school. We weren't allowed toys. We weren't allowed photos. So no photos of our families, not even a teddy bear, no posters, no music, no plants, nothing. So we had, literally we had our beds. So we had a plastic chair and we had a little chest by the side of our beds. So it was like this military training camp. And I mean, I became really good at hospital corners. Every morning we had to make our beds and get our, roll them back perfectly. And if they weren't made well enough, we had the beds stripped and had to remake them. Anyway, this is, this is even before breakfast. So that was just to give you a sense of a bit of what it was like. And so this went on for a couple of years. And by the time I was 12, my family had moved to Holland. So, of course, by then I could fly back for the holidays. And two weeks before one of the holidays, I decided to stop eating. Now, I didn't feel overweight. I was quite a slim child. And actually, if you'd asked me at the time, I couldn't have told you why I decided to stop eating. But clearly, I wanted my parents to notice something was wrong. So I went home and my parents noticed I'd lost a lot of weight. But I, I didn't know what to say. I just said the school at food is uh, the, the food at school is horrible because I, I 
I, I didn't even know how to explain what was going on. So that half term, that holiday, I couldn't stop eating. I mean, my poor, poor body was half starved and I regained the weight I'd lost. I still wasn't overweight, but I was, I felt overweight. That was a really big difference. For the first time in my life, I felt overweight. And it was that that led to years and years of disordered eating, huge cravings, binge eating, and eventually I ended up bulimic for a couple of years. So it was really pretty extreme. And for a while, by the time I reached my 20s, it was, this is when the bulimia really started in my early 20s. And at that stage, you know, this is quite a long time ago now, and it wasn't so well known. And I didn't even know where to get any help. And I decided I was just going to have to beat this thing. So I relied on willpower for a couple of years. And for a couple of years, I managed to eat fairly healthily. But the problem with willpower is that you're always fighting against your body. It's not a long-term solution. It's, it's you, you know, you can rely on it for a bit, but because you're fighting against your body, it's ultimately doomed to fail. And you're, you're going to end up binging again. So this time, when I hit a particularly stressful time, then my eating, the, my eating went completely haywire again. And this time I saw a clinical psychologist and worked with her. And my relationship with food started to normalize and I started to eat more, more healthily and be more in tune with my body. And actually it wasn't my own history with eating that directly led me to study nutrition. I was working in IT at the time and I was looking for something more meaningful to do. I'd kind of been doing it for quite a long time and I it just, I just didn't feel the same way anymore about it. I wanted to do something, yeah, that I felt was more meaningful for people. And at the time, I had really bad period pains. And every month, I'd be in complete agony. And the doctors gave me prescription painkillers, and they, they didn't touch the sides of it. I was, in, I was in this extreme pain. And I eventually went to sit. The doctors were suggesting an exploratory operation as the next step. But I didn't want to go there. So I went to see this nutritional therapist. And to be honest, I didn't really have great expectations from this. But I thought, you know, I was kind of, what do I do? So anyway, I went to see this nutritional therapist and she explained to me how the inflammatory mediators in my body, in my body were triggering this extreme pain. And so she explained to me why it was happening and what I could do about it to stop those inflammatory mediators. And within three months of changing my diet, I'd completely got rid of period pains. And I never had them again. And I think this shows the power of food. Now, I mean, for your listeners, it may be period pains. They may have some other pain or they may have something else going on. But people don't really realize quite how you can use food therapeutically and the absolute power of that. So it was that that led me to go and study nutritional therapy. And at that point in time, I didn't really have any intention of working in the weight loss area. Um, I was particularly interested in women's health, probably because of my own history. And during training, during the training, we had training clinic and we had clients in there that we could see twice. And I had this lady come to see me who wanted to lose weight. And she was, she was really lovely. And we put together this plan and she went away and she came back for her follow up appointment four weeks later. And she came back and she'd gained seven pounds. She hadn't been able to follow that plan we put together. And making changes to the way she ate had blown away the controls that she had in place to, to manage her eating. And I spoke to my tutors and they didn't know what I could have done differently. And um, 
I started chatting to a friend of mine who was a psychotherapist and in a way I couldn't let it go. I'd, I'd left kind of this job in IT to do something more meaningful and I, I'd made the whole situation worse for this lady. And that was what ultimately led to years and years of research into why people have cravings, um, why people overeat, why people, even when they're doing everything sort of so-called right, can't shift the weight. And what I discovered was that when your biochemistry is out of balance, it can trigger the cravings. It triggers you to overeat. It triggers you to store more fat. It triggers you to store fat around your belly. So just following a set diet, for a start, most people can't follow a set diet for any length of time. But that doesn't necessarily target what's happening in their body that's triggering the excess fat stories, that's triggering you to overeat, that's triggering those cravings. And so once I realized that these imbalances were causing it, then the next step is to, well, okay, so how do you bring your body back into balance? So this is kind of a shortened version of years and years of research and working with a psychotherapist and working with weight loss clients. And ultimately I put all, I, I ran some courses from this and then I put this information into a book and that was published this year. And it was amazing because it became an Amazon bestseller, which was really incredible. And the best bit for me, though, was getting emails from people who were saying it had really changed their life. And one, I, I had comments like, um, discovering my body was triggering my cravings has taken away the shame of my overeating. And that's such a huge thing because people feel so bad. I mean, myself, I felt so much shame around my overeating. I, I didn't tell anybody about it for years and years. So, yeah, so that's sort of um, my history and how I got to where I am now. So, okay, so when you were a kid, just kind of recap, when you were a kid, you just it seemed like so, somewhat randomly just started to stop eating or you were eating and then you were bulimic, so you're eating and vomiting it up just as quickly. Um, so would this be like a response to a, like a stress of your changing environments? Like you, like everything in your life just changed very dramatically all of a sudden. And so you're, you, this was just kind of like a stressful response to that. I think, do you know what? It didn't happen overnight because I'd been eating fairly normally at boarding school for two years before I stopped eating. And I think so many things lead into this, but I think it was really just like a cry for attention. And how do I get myself out of this situation about being at that boarding school? Only it didn't really work. I never actually verbalized what the problem was that I, that it, how, how bad that place was. And so over time, I think then it, it came in, it was the, whilst it took a while to lead it up to not eating, I don't think children in general just stop eating overnight. I think I think there's a build-up of things happening before you get to that stage. Right. So I'd stopped eating, but it was that stopping eating that threw my body out of balance so much. I hadn't really had any issues around eating until I stopped eating, and then that was what triggered all the cravings. Right, right. So is, is it kind of fair to say that when we have we have issues with cravings? I know I have issues with cravings. I don't think I have a lot of them. I do have them and usually they're not crippling. You know, I, I have something sweet or something. I feel something sweet and then I, I, t I eat it and then I feel okay for now. I'm satisfied for the moment. Um, but a lot of people really do. They, their cravings are just overwhelming. I know that. And there's a incredible amount of shame that comes with it. 
from their uh, from their craving indulgence. So, what, what do you really say to what do you really say to someone like that? I mean, obviously, it's more it's more it, there's more to it than just a biochemical response in food. There's a psychological component to it. Oh, absolutely, but the two are related. So, for example, many people reach for food when they're feeling depressed to cheer themselves up. But actually, when you're feeling depressed, your serotonin drops. And when you eat something sugary, um, what it does is it pushes your insulin levels up. And that insulin carries tryptophan in your body into your brain where it's converted into serotonin, boosting your mood. So it's whilst there is an emotional component to it, there's also a corresponding biochemical component. So in a way, whichever angle you address it from is going to help. Gotcha. Or, so a really common one at the moment is stress. So our bodies are designed, I mean, our bodies are brilliantly designed to cope with stress, but they're not very well designed to cope with modern day stresses. So the type of stress we're brilliantly designed to handle is, let's say we're faced with a saber toothed tiger and we have to have that fight or flight response. Now, that's not the kind of stresses that we have these days, but your body still mobilizes all that energy for that fight or flight response. And your adrenaline levels go down fairly quickly, but your cortisol levels, another stress hormone stays higher for longer. And that cortisol tells you, you've got to refuel after all that fighting or fighting. So it triggers you to want high sugar, high fat foods. So this is actually part of your body's survival response. So by resisting that, by trying to use willpower to fight it, you're fighting your body's survival response. So in which one's gonna win? Ultimately, your body, you know, your body's set up for survival. So that response is going to win. Right. So then how do you, how do you counter something like that? So, you know, and I've had this discussion uh, with other guests before. It's like, there, there is a, it is, there's a, there's a strange truth to the fact that, you know, we're in the modern world and we're kind of, you know, we're very evolved as a species at this point, but the brain is still very primitive in how it functions. And so, so is your, you know, your limbic system and everything else. It's still very much rooted in thousands and thousands of years of back history. Yeah. And it still operates on that. So, but the, the tricky point is, is like, how do we, how do we find this, uh, um, it's kind of a, a sweet spot in between living in the world that we live in now and dealing with this very primitive brain? Oh yeah. I mean, we're never, we're never going to get it perfect in the modern world. It's, it's actually not possible to get it perfect in the modern world. But the way I work with people is, is first of all, we discover what's triggering, what's triggering their cravings, what's triggering their urge to overeat. And it could be hormone imbalances, whether that's um, blood sugar imbalances, whether it's your stress hormones have been triggered, whether it's your appetite regulations, hormones have been disrupted, um, or it may be to do with being low in particular nutrients, because that can also trigger you to overeat if you're low in the nutrients involved in fat storage, for example, or um, if you've got gut bacterial imbalances. Uh, it, I mean, we know our gut bacteria play a huge number of roles in our body. So, for example, it's well known that they're, they're very involved in your immune system. But, for example, slim people have a different balance of gut bacteria from people who are overweight. And your gut bacteria can actually make you extract more calories from food. They can, make, they can increase your appetite. Or it could be because you've been exposed to obesogenic chemicals. Now, a lot of the everyday chemicals in our environment, for example, the chemicals in plastics, 
Um, when you put hot food into plastics or fatty foods in plastics, the chemicals leach from the plastic into your food. Then you're ingesting these chemicals that can increase your appetite, that can increase fat storage. So the first step is to find out what's going on in your body that's, that's triggering these imbalances. You know, what imbalances do you have? And then you can use food and lifestyle therapeutically to address those imbalances and bring your body back into balance. So, so you actually change the root, you target the root causes of what's behind your weight issues, whether it's the fat storage or the way you're eating. Um, but your cravings don't go overnight. It takes a while to bring your body back into balance. So in the meantime, what you can do is, is find a way of dealing with those cravings in the meantime. And in fact, I run free Master Your Cravings workshops, and I've got one coming up on Tuesday, the 29th of November. And on that workshop, what we do is we, we look at responding to emotions in ways that don't involve food. And we also look at finding alternatives that satisfy your cravings in that moment, but don't keep you locked into the craving cycle. So for different people, that would be different things. But often if we're craving sugar, for example, then we eat lots of sugary food, lots of cake, lots of cookies, whatever it is. That just exacerbates the imbalances in our body and sets us up for future cravings. So if you can swap that sugary food for something that still satisfies that need for something sweet, but doesn't keep you locked into that cycle, that's a, that's a really important step along the way. So how, you know, it sounds like a very, a very long and involved process. So how do you like, say, if you're just an average person, I mean, I guess you can do other than going to maybe say your clinics that you set up, like the one you just spoke of. Now, how do you, how do you really um, find what's triggering one, what's triggering these cravings? And two, how then do you like modify your own, your own diet? So the triggers aren't, or the cravings aren't triggered anymore. Okay. So well, we can talk about some, we've talked about a few of the, the key triggers. Um, it's actually in my book, you can, you can see, you can actually, each chapter in part one is a short description of the imbalance and there's a questionnaire to see if that imbalance is relevant to you. So you can go through that and at the end of part one of the book, you'll know exactly which biochemical imbalances are triggering your cravings, which ones are triggering your extra fat storage, which ones are triggering your belly fat. But if we look, for example, if we're talking about cravings, um, a really common one is blood sugar imbalances. So if you, you may know you've got blood sugar imbalances because you may have energy lows at some point during the day. And when your energy, when your, when your blood sugar drops too low, your body tries to get it up again quickly. And it does that by making you eat sugary foods because the sugar in them pushes your blood sugar up. So if you have a lot of cravings, I'd say a really good place to start is by balancing your blood sugar levels. And balancing your blood sugar levels also helps with stress. Because if you're, when your blood sugar levels drop too low, another way your body can get them up again is by releasing stress hormones. So again, all these things interrelated. Now, you may have different imbalances going on, but often if you have one imbalance, it has a knock-on effect and creates other imbalances. So by bringing one of them, one of these imbalances in your body by correcting that, it also has a knock-on effect helping to correct everything. So... Um, to balance your blood sugar levels, it helps to have three meals a day, to eat fairly regularly, and then have a small snack mid-morning and mid-afternoon. 
And it's also really important to include some protein food with each meal and snack because the protein, all, all carbohydrates get broken down in your body into sugars, but the protein slows down the release of the sugars from the carbohydrates. So it doesn't have such an effect on your blood sugar levels. So that's a really good place to start. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, as far as the, the weight loss industry, now the weight loss industry is built on this idea that, you know, managing your cravings obviously is a big part of it. Um, but a lot of them advocate very kind of strict or even kind of what you would call very strident policies about how you should eat, you know, man, documenting all your foods and stuff like that and just kind of um, calorie counting getting very getting very regimented on that sort of thing now is that is are you for or against that is that kind of what you're is what you're getting at I, I think i think people have to find what works for them and it's going to be different for everybody but i'm absolutely not into calorie counting or into counting points or into cutting out any food groups or into following someone else's regime because the problem with that is firstly you might not be targeting the imbalances in your body and so it's not going to actually change the situation. You may be able to follow it for a short while, but then you go back to your own old way of eating, which is what caused the problems in the first place. And I, I just think for, for our bodies know, our bodies know what we need. And when your bodies are in balance, then they tell you the amount you need to eat. You're drawn to the right kind of foods. I mean, you may occasionally want sugary foods, but they don't have that same hold over you. You know, you can more take it or leave it. So the way I work with people is the first step is to find out which imbalances they have in their body. And then I take them through a step-by-step -step process. So each step you make one change and you, you tailor that change to the imbalances in your body and to your dietary preferences and requirements. So you find a way of eating that works for you. Because your way of eating might be completely different from mine. I mean, I work with vegans and I work with meat eaters. And you can have a healthy diet wherever you are on this. But it has to be a diet that works for you. Or what, I don't even like the word diet because you've got so many connotations with it. Mm. A diet set up this real um, win-lose situation. Because either you're, you're sticking to your diet and you're succeeding or you're, you're not managing to stick to it and you failed. And then when you failed, I mean, it all goes haywire kind of. Right. That's when people overeat and binge. And in fact, it's very, it, it's very binary. It's very, you know, yeah. like you say, it's, it's, it's win or lose. And, and this is where I think people start falling off the wagon. It's like, oh, well, I went, you know, 500 calories over my limit. This is a, this is a fail. And so they drop off of it. But yeah, you're right about that. It's very, it's very uh, restrictive and black and white. They, they did a really interesting start, a documentary I saw. And they took two groups of people who were trying to lose weight and they were following this diet and they gave both groups an identical cake. And one group they told it was healthy and low calorie and the other group didn't say they didn't say anything to. So the group that thought it was healthy and low calorie had their slice of it, then carried on sticking with the diet for the rest of the day. The other group decided they'd blown their diet. So they may as well go out and get fish and chips that evening. <laughs> so, so blowing their diet by what I mean, one piece of cake is not going to destroy all your healthy eating efforts. But then layering on extra things on top of that, on top of that, fish and chips and whatever else they did, does make a big difference if you do that every time you blow your diet. So I really think this whole idea of dieting and 
success and failure is is really unhelpful. I, I much prefer people to focus on health and rebalancing their body because when you do that, like someone I'm working with at the moment, she was just really, really keen to lose weight. And I said, can we just like park the, the weight loss for the moment and just focus on rebalancing your body? And she didn't notice any weight loss for the first month, but she noticed huge improvements in her energy, huge improvements in the clarity of her thinking. And then she'd already set up these habits. So she said, well, it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything now, but now I'm losing weight. But by moving the focus onto health, we were setting her up for, for success, really. And not having to be perfect and not having to do everything all at once, because for most people, changing everything at once is, is a really big deal. And it's actually very, very hard to stick to, partly because you're changing the foods you're used to eating and partly because everything is new. You've actually got to think about doing these new things. But when you focus on just one small change and making that work for you, then that change becomes a habit. And then it feels like you're not doing so much anymore. Then you can make another change on top of that. And yeah. it, also, it also takes you out of this whole thing is of, of having blown your diet because you're just focusing on one change rather than getting everything right. Right, exactly. So one thing I did read, um, you said, um, maybe I'm interpreting this wrong, but you said like most of the people don't understand why most of their fat storage is in their belly so um, now just going into the differences of gender between men and women, like I was, when I was brought up, um, they told us like, you know, I remember a gym teacher told me this years and years ago. It was like, you know, about telling us that we need to stay on top of being active in fitness beyond when we get out of school because there's not going to be gym classes, no required physical activity. You need to stay on top of this because, you know, guys, all your excess fat is going to go right here to your belly. It's going to give you that beer gut look and with women it's going to go right back here to your hips it's going to give you these very large unpleasant looking derrieres that you know <laughs> maybe at the time you maybe were something you don't really want but that he, the point is, is that he was saying like the, the differences in fat storage between men and women are i remember him saying are very uh, very uh, opposite to one another but you seem but you, you're saying that most of your fat storage goes to the belly then I'm saying it depends. So, for example, in you talked about women storing hips around, uh, storing fat around their hips and thighs and bottoms. And that is true in younger women. But then as you hit the perimenopause, your estrogen levels start to drop. And one of the places that can produce um, estrogen is actually belly fat. So this is why women, as they approach the menopause, start to store fat around their belly. And it's not unhealthy to gain a little bit of weight at the menopause as long as it's, it's a small amount. But it's actually your body's way of protecting you because you don't need the estrogen for reproduction anymore, but you still need it to protect your bones and heart. And another place that you can produce estrogen from is your adrenals, which also produces your stress hormones. Now, this isn't such an important source of estrogen until you hit menopause, but then that source becomes more important. But it's often a time in many women's lives when they're very stressed. So this is why often we it's very hard to lose weight and to keep it off if you've got a lot of stress in your life. And I think this is one of the huge things that people are facing. It's just huge stress levels at the moment. Gotcha. Hang on one second. Sorry, it's my son. No worries. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so okay, so in younger women, excess fat is actually in the hips, and as as they get older, then they get in the postmenopause, then it's it kind of focuses more on the belly. I did not know that. That's interesting. Well, that's, I mean, that's just one example. So you're probably going to have younger women there saying now, but I'm storing fat around my belly. Okay. So there are also reasons why younger women may store fat around their belly. And we talked about stress and the stress hormone cortisol tells you to store fat around your belly because it's close to your liver, which can quickly convert it back to, to, um, to sugars. If another, if you need to fuel another fight or flight response. So if you're very stressed, it's going to be hard to lose belly fat. So, I mean, people think, I mean, it's, we've had this whole idea, isn't it? You just eat less calories and do more exercise and you'll lose weight. But it's not that simple. So, I mean, if you're stressed, you know, you're going to have to try and address that too. But it's also the whole lifestyle thing. If you're not getting enough sleep, it can increase your appetite and reduce your, the amount of fat you burn. So it's, it's the whole picture. In fact, what's really good for our health is also really good for our weight. And this might sound, if you're listening to this and this sounds absolutely overwhelming, you know, don't be overwhelmed. Just find one small change you can start with and, and do that. And a really good place to start for people is to uh, reduce the amount of processed foods you're eating. Because processed foods, you know, our bodies aren't designed to handle them. And they can make any imbalances in your body worse, which is going to make it harder to lose weight. Right. Yeah. Harder to be healthy. The processed food problem is is pretty huge because, you know, it's a matter of convenience for a lot of people and expenses. Um, I think almost anyone, if they could eat as fresh as they could, you know, then if they had that option, I think they'd probably go for it because, you know, most people do understand the benefits of non-processed, natural, organic foods. Um, and it's definitely, as, as an industry, it's grown in its popularity. Um, but then it's like, well, I mean, I don't have anything around me that's particularly fresh and organic that goes straight from farm to table or something like that. So um, minimizing process of, uh, options there is a challenge for most people. I think it can be very challenging, especially, you know, a lot of people aren't used to cooking or they feel they've got no time. So, for example, maybe you could start, if you're eating a lot of processed foods, maybe you could start by adding in with your evening meal, for example. What about steaming some, veg some fresh or frozen vegetables with it? You know, you can always keep frozen veg in your freezer, so they're always there. And then you're actually increasing your vegetables, which have huge amounts of benefits for your health and for your weight. Right, yeah. So, again, eliminating this all-or-nothing attitude, saying, well, you can't do absolutely everything, but you can do something. You can't do everything. If you try to do everything at once, I'm sure there will be some people that can do it, but I'm sure they're in a huge minority. So just by just starting to make changes and actually getting out of this perfect perfection mindset is so important. I think if you've got this idea, it has to be perfect. You're almost dooming yourself to failure, especially in the modern world where it just isn't perfect. All right. So going back um what you said earlier, now you use your own, your own uh, personal experience. You had these very, painful period pains, and then your modification of your diet, getting that under control, helped eliminate that. So is that to say, like, if you're having, like, chronic pains, there might be some um, systemic in, uh, inflammation going on here, and that, you know, while maybe changing the, the food won't be a complete cure-all, but it will help a lot? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not. I'm not a general right. practitioner, a medical doctor. Um, and obviously, you need to talk to your doctor about this. But yes, the way we eat can often trigger inflammation in our body. And the other thing about inflammation, not only does it cause pain, but if you've got chronic low-level inflammation, it can actually make you get you gain weight. And in fact, inflammation is now considered to be a really big factor in the increasing amount of weight people are gaining. And one of the key things behind inflammation is the type of fats we eat. So, for example, the omega-6 and omega-3 fats have had a lot of press in recent years. And the omega-6 fats, I mean, they're essential fats and your body needs them, but they can be inflammatory in your body or they can be anti-inflammatory in your body depending on the conditions in your body. Whereas the omega-3 fats are always anti-inflammatory. Now, omega-3 fats are in things like oily fish, um, flaxseed, chia seed, walnuts, hemp seed, and a small amount in green leafy vegetables. Now, they reckon our ancestors had 20 times, uh, sorry, had similar amounts of omega-3 and omega-6 in their bodies. Whereas today we've got 20 times more omega-6 to omega-3. And the problem with this is if, they, if they have a high omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, you convert more of those mediators into your body into inflammatory mediators. So if you reduce your omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, then you are going to create less inflammation in your body. And if one of the big indicators that you're likely to have a high omega-6 to omega-3 ratio is if you eat a lot of processed foods. So it's yet another reason to try to cut back on processed foods. Gotcha, gotcha. So, all right, so just as a way of example, so I mean, you kind of already broke into this already as we've spoken. So if I, if I, if I had come to you, and I know you work mainly with women, but just theoretically, if I had come to you and saying, you know, I need help with this weight loss, I need help with this excess fat and all this other stuff here. So what would be normally the process that you would take people through? I say, all right, first of all, let's find out what's, which imbalances you have in your body. And I've identified these 11 imbalances. So you can either do that through part one of my book, or I have an online course that you can just do in your own time. So people that I work with, I, I run courses, but the first thing I do is I give them this, um, this video course to do on their own. It takes about an hour and a half, and they'll watch a short video that will explain why this imbalance causes you to gain weight, how it blocks your weight loss, whether it triggers cravings, whether it triggers you to overeat, whether it it makes you store more fat, whether it makes you store fat around your belly. And then at the end of that, you know exactly which imbalances you have in your body and how they're blocking your weight loss. Then the next step is a longer process um, where you each week or each two weeks, you make one change. So we start with getting breakfast right, because breakfast is such an important place to start and it can actually help stabilize your eating for the rest of the day. So we have some guidelines to um, what your breakfast should be looking like. But there's a lot of flexibility in that within that to make it work for something that you like. And you can also tailor it to the imbalances in your body. So let's say, for example, you have dysbiosis and imbalance in your gut bacteria then you might want to include fermented foods like yogurt with your breakfast because that can help to balance your gut bacteria, which can then make it easier to lose weight. So the whole thing is about finding a way of eating that you enjoy that brings your body back into balance. Because as we said before, following a set diet doesn't work for most people. And most people who lose weight 
end up then regaining it plus a bit more. So it's so important not to see losing weight as a short-term diet, but finding a way of eating that you really enjoy, finding a way of eating that you can sustain long-term, finding a way of eating that makes you feel good, that gives you that energy that mm-hmm. that makes you feel good in your body. All right. So, I mean, ultimately the, the goal here is to lose weight. So I know for a lot of people, because I the work people I uh, work with or people I work with, I train like, you know, depending on what they're after, you know, you can expect a certain duration of time. Like, and it's not going to happen with a month. I mean, you know, when you're doing physical training of any kind, it's, you're looking at maybe depending on how far you want to go, you can look at upwards of six months to a year. So it's a commitment, but I know that six months to a year, telling that to someone straight out um, is going to look like a real, a real chore. And that's generally not what people are after. So they have to have something else that they can kind of hang their hat on along the way that maybe is outside of the, the larger goal of either running faster or whatever or losing weight. So is it yeah. just then, is, is it like the all, all of the uh, connected uh, values, what comes with weight loss, like just feeling better and things like that? Is that where, where people... Really yeah, I mean, something said going? to me recently, actually, you know, even though I haven't lost weight, well, this is someone who's now lost weight, but at the time they hadn't lost weight yet. And they said, even though I haven't lost weight, I feel really motivated to keep going because I just feel so much better. I have less pain after exercise. I have more energy. I'm not having those energy slumps in the day. I'm less ratty with my family. I feel like my my, you know, my whole mood is more stable. Right. Right. So, and it's those things. So even though the weight it might take a little bit longer to shift, you, you're noticing the benefits from it quite early on. And it's easy to stick to because you're just making one change at a time and then building on that. But if you're looking for quick results, then it is going to be disappointing. Very because, awesome. But it, it is, instead of getting quick results, you're getting lasting results. And that, that's the really big difference. Yeah, and that, and that, that is a... It's a tough thing to tell people because, especially now, because so much of the uh, weight loss industry and the fitness industry is built on getting results right now. But I think you can say that. But like you said, the type of results that you should tell people they can can look forward to getting fairly soon are maybe not the ones that they came in expecting. So, you know, shedding all that excess weight, well, that's going to take some time. But here, here's something you can look forward to. In a few weeks, you're going to feel a lot better. You may not look any different, but you're going to feel a lot better. But the process should be fun. I was listening to your podcast with Heather Murray, which was absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant. And she was talking about how exercise and eating differently wasn't a punishment. She was doing it with love to, to look after her body. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important. We shouldn't be seeing this as we've got to beat ourselves up to reach this goal. It actually should be an enjoyable process and finding a way of doing things that actually you enjoy. Because if you enjoy it, then you'll stick with it. And I'm sure you'll find this as a personal trainer. If people are really hating the exercises, maybe that's not quite right for them and they need to do something a bit differently. Because everybody's, everybody's different. And if you really enjoy it, then you're going to stick to it. Right. And again, that, that is part of the messaging that we're getting a lot in the fitness industry that, you know, like this, this is work. This is dedicated work. And, like you said, an all or nothing sort of thing. And, you know, it's getting up at 5.30 in the morning. It's hitting the ground running. It's hammering this and hammering that. And, you know, 
I, and I, I will even say I even kind of fall into that trap too. It's like, this is, this is work. You want results, you better put in the work, that kind of thing. But, um, most people that just get, that does not go over very well because they're not, they're not professional athletes. They're not training for anything. They just want to look and feel good. And Heather really kind of, yeah, she hit the uh, nail on the head there. And I think for her, in her particular circumstances, because of the background she came into fitness with, like putting herself through more misery was probably the last thing in the world that she really wanted. And I think if everyone went in with that attitude that you're supposed to treat yourself, this is the way to love yourself, not to chastise yourself. I think that's a better way of looking. Yeah. And I mean, eating healthily, not only do you feel better, but you can really enjoy your food. And you don't have to feel deprived by cutting out. I mean, people see food as a treat or have their chocolate bar as a treat. But then there's also a mindset shift. I mean, sure, if you want to eat that chocolate bar as a treat, eat that chocolate bar as a treat, but then eat it slowly and enjoy every bite. Don't shovel it down because if you eat it quickly, it, it's not any better for you. You know, you're still eating it. Right. So if you are going to eat something unhealthy, you know, make sure you enjoy it. And also by doing that, by slowing it down, you're likely to eat less of it. So don't make the food bad. Sure, you're not. Maybe you're not making the healthiest choice right now, but you know it's a choice you've made for now. Just have a smaller amount of it, or try and find something like the chocolate one is a, is a really big thing for a lot of women. And I had one client, and she really craved chocolate premenstrually, but and she knew that if she started eating it, it was quite hard for her to limit it to a you know a reasonable amount, and then she'd go into this huge downward spiral of shame with it. But what she did is she got really dark chocolate that's got less sugar in. Actually, I'm not entirely sure that's true in America, so you, need, you do need to check. But it is, in, it is, in it England, is certainly the darker the chocolate, the less sugar. It is true in America, honestly. I've tried, I've eaten quite a bit of dark chocolate. It's more bitter than it is sweet. Uh, okay. Um, so generally, the higher the cocoa solids, the less sugar there is in it. And what she did was she melted some of the chocolate onto the nuts and chopped up nuts. And what she found was she could manage to eat that in small amounts. And that satisfied her need for chocolate, but it didn't send to eat, eat into eating huge amounts of it. So gotcha. I think it's so important to find things that work for you, things that you enjoy. And just following a set plan makes you have to rely on willpower or some of them factor in sweet treats. But that doesn't take into account that it's not just about the calorie. When you eat sugar, it can reduce your sensitivity to leptin, the fat-burning hormone. Right. So it's, I think it's about understanding a bit more about how your body works and finding alternatives that, that you enjoy. Right. So in kind of going off, you know, I know you work mainly with women, and um, I was just kind of curious here because we, we know everyone as they age, they go through changes in hormones and things like that. I mean, um, we know men go through dips of testosterone as they get older. Um, and it just, it really uh, affects how, how their bodies function, how well they put on muscle. We all know that kind of thing here. Um, in terms of like how weight loss affects women in particular, um, is it is it just noticeably, is it just very much different or is it just, is it, is it worse as time goes on? It seems like with men, it kind of, it sets in gradually. We hit a certain age and just slowly, just declines, declines, declines. Um, maybe with women, and maybe this is my own ignorance, I don't really know. It seems like it's a pretty sharp change. 
or is it or is it more or is it gradual as well i think for women when they go through the menopause that's when it can be a big shift because that's when mm -hmm. what's going on in your body and your biochemistry changes so menopause doesn't happen overnight there's this, this period of the perimenopause, which can be quite a long time, many years leading up to the menopause. And that's often the time when women find it harder to lose weight. Because we, we mentioned before their estrogen levels are dropping. So if you're a perimenopausal woman and you feel that you're, you know, you're just putting on weight so much more easily, then there's a couple of things you can do. Like we talked about balancing your blood sugar levels. And that's really important because um, when your blood sugar levels are out of balance, that has a knock-on effect on your stress hormones and on your female hormones. Um, something else you can do, you can include plant substances known as phytoestrogens because they help bring your estrogen levels into balance whether they're high or low. So that's in things like, well, a really good source is beans and pulses. So start trying to eat bean, beans and pulses, so lentils or chickpeas, that kind of thing. And they're also really, really cheap. You know, you can buy big bags and cook them up. And, and I don't know, certainly in the UK, they're very cheap. But they're also really healthy. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and definitely for everybody who's struggling to lose weight, a really, really important one to start to look at is your, is your stress hormones. And how can we can't always change the stresses. Excuse me, we can't always change the stresses in our life. But then it's really important to try to find ways of dealing with them. And I know that's so easy to say and so hard to do. But it, it is, it's really, really important to start to notice how stress affects our bodies. Definitely the stress thing, I think, in, at least in first world industrialized countries, is a big, is a big deal. Um, I've, actually, I've actually, before, I've, well, I've covered this with other uh, guests, uh, I've asked them, like, do you think this is distinctly kind of like a first world problem? I mean, I mean, everywhere there is problems here, but the, you know, the processed foods and the modern stress levels do you think they are distinctively um, kind of a bigger, biggest worry in the more developed world as opposed to places that are maybe not so modernized? Well, I think probably everywhere in the world is stressful at the moment, I think. But you're right, it's probably different types of stresses. Um, but stresses is not good for anybody at any level. But certainly in the West, I think we eat a lot more processed foods. And even over the last generation, you know, a few generations ago, Processed food wasn't wasn't really available. It's it's very much a modern problem. Right, right. So it's just it's always always kind of occurs to me. Maybe we just, maybe I just don't um, I don't read enough about from people who study uh, countries who are not like say Europe states. But it always seems like it's um, always seems like it's more kind of focused in the in the developed world rather than the I guess. Well, uh, I, I don't want to say third. Well, I understand that in some places in America, they're even building apartments without kitchens. Are they? Yeah, that's what I've heard. I thought in New York and places like that, they were now building, maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I heard. They were now building apartments that didn't have kitchens because everyone's just relying on takeout all the time. Huh. And I think it's become a real cultural thing to, to not cook or just to pop a, some processed foods in the oven, you know, or in the microwave. Yeah. yeah. Well, that yeah. is... I had not heard that, so um, I'd like honestly, to think that, that's wrong. But <laughs> honestly, that, that that would not surprise me because, yeah, it is very. There is. It's a matter of the of convenience that you can just order things, especially in New York, where there's restaurants and takeout everywhere. Um, it would not surprise me. So you know, 
<laughs> I would believe it almost if, if I did hear that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, our bodies aren't, you know, pro and also processed foods, they can be very, very misleading. So often you think you're buying something healthy because it's, it looks healthy from the packaging. But when, it, when you actually come to eat it, it's actually not that healthy. And I think a really good example of this is yogurts. So you get a fruit yogurt that says no added sugar on it, for example. And you find it's, it's absolutely full of artificial sweeteners. So and I'm always really careful anything that says no added sugar because I think, you know, the chances are they put sweeteners in. And this is a really good example of how our bodies, they, they're not designed to handle these, these modern foods like artificial, if you could even call it a food like artificial sweeteners. Because artificial sweeteners have been linked to weight gain, even if you don't eat more calories. Because our bodies don't know how to handle that sweet taste without the calories. Right. So, so would, you, would you say that probably the, if you're going to have something sugary, you probably should go more towards the actual sugar rather than the sweeteners? Oh, I think it's probably best to avoid artificial sweeteners completely. If you're eating sugar, then there are healthier versions like maple syrup, for example, mm -hmm. is a better option than refined sugar. I mean, it's not a great idea to eat a huge amounts of sugary things, but it's very hard to cut back on sugar completely. And if you're eating a lot of sugar, it's actually not a good idea to cut it all out completely unless you're really sure you can stick to it. Because they found that when you cut sugar out completely and then you end up binging on it and overeating it, that's when it becomes addictive. Really? Yeah. So it's, so it's not addictive beforehand. It's addictive after it's addictive. It it's addictive when you restrict it and then overeat it and you eat in that kind of pattern. Oh. That that's can trigger the, the addiction to it. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I've not thought about it like that. So yeah. if it's something that's part of a normal part of your diet in the first place, it's not necessarily addiction. Now you try to cut it out and then you consume a massive quantity all at once. And now it's officially an addiction. Well, except you'd probably find sugar very hard to cut out if you are eating it regularly because your body becomes used to it. But I think that real craving for it, I mean, researchers have actually likened it to addictive drugs because it has the same effect on your, your brain's neurochemistry. So if you're feeling bad about, about reaching for that chocolate bar when you told yourself you weren't going to have it, it's actually not your fault. You know, it's, a, it's a physical compulsion. Yes, yes. Okay. It's okay. like blaming I... a drug addict for, for reaching for the drugs. You know, it's not... It, it's a biochemical trigger in your body. And I think it's so, so important. If anyone's listening to this, there's one message I'd really like them to take from it. You know, it's not your fault. Don't beat yourself up about it because that's actually not going to help you change. And in fact, beating yourself up just keeps you locked into this whole cycle where nothing changes. Start to be kind to yourself and start to make small changes towards health. Great message. Great message. So, um, so what... As we wind down here, so what what's next to you? I mean, you've got this book. You, you released this book last year, correctly? Oh, this year. The, this year, okay. This year, yeah, to, in January this year. To, all right, went to the top on Amazon. Yeah. Um, continuing your own practice. So what's next uh, after, what's next, what's in the future for you? Is there anything uh, on your horizons? Do you know what I'm really enjoying? I'm really enjoying working with people and running groups, and I'm really enjo enjoying running these Master Your Cravings workshops. So if anybody wants to come along and find your own path to get through those cravings, you know, I'd love to see you. And what I'm also really loving is I've been talking to people more, like mm -hmm. um, doing podcasts and things like this. And I'm finding them really fun and I'm chatting to some really interesting people. 
So yeah, I'm loving doing that as well. So I'd like to do more podcasts. And I even hosted an Instagram live recently, my first one, which was great as well. So I'd like to do more of that. Good deal, good deal. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, these more of these podcasts I do, and I meet all sorts of interesting people. Some are, you know, experts in their field. Others are just regular people. They're just giving me a story like Heather did. And it's extremely fascinating. So yeah, yeah. So well, um, Don, um, thank you so much. I mean, I would normally I ask at the end of the broadcast, uh, if people have a final message they want to give out, if, if uh, people remember nothing else, but I think you just already said it. It's like just the general be good to yourself and treat yourself um, with respect. I think that's a lot. Of, Absolutely. Lot of yeah. It's a lot of the message here is like a lot of people just, and the, um, the, the thought of that, you know, your sugar cravings are, are something that are being done to you, not necessarily that you're choosing. I think a lot of people will find that liberating. Oh, can I add and, one thing that also that I think is really hopeful for people? When I had really bad cravings, I thought I'd have to live with them forever. You know, I thought I just had to find a way of managing them. But do you know what? You don't have to. So if you do have cravings, it is possible to get rid of them. And I've been completely free of any cravings or any kind of disordered eating for over a quarter of a century. So it absolutely is possible to get rid of them. Right. It just takes time. And it, it just takes, takes the time. Time and patience and it take, treating yourself with, with the respect that you deserve. Because, yeah. you know, again, hating on, hating on yourself is not going to get you very far. It's just going to take you further down a rabbit hole that you might find impossible to get out of. Yeah. All right. Well, Don, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Uh, thank you so much, Sean. It's been a lot of fun chatting to you. Yeah, thanks for your time. And uh, everyone, um, if you want to get in contact with Don, I will uh, put her information in the show notes, just like everyone else, just like every other time. And um, if you found this broadcast of value, I would please ask you to um, subscribe and share and give a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It helps more than you know. really helps uh, get the content out there and reach as many ears as it can possibly reach. And don't forget also that I have online courses available that you can find. I'll put that in the show notes um, as well. Courses that are meant to address all kinds of common deficits that people have with balance, coordination, strength, neuromuscular functioning, that sort of thing. So check it out there. And um, Don, Again, once enough, once again, can't thank you enough. Anyone I get on this broadcast that has a background in nutrition that can kind of steer me or anyone in the right direction here, I really value because I know that's a weak spot for me. I know it is for a lot of people. And the world we live in just doesn't make it any easier. We see the things in the store. We see the things on social media that just, it's like, where do you even, where do you even begin? And it's like, you know. So any, any helping hand is much appreciated. Thank you so much, Sean. Thanks so much, Don. All right, everybody. Until next time, take, take care. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments. Cancel anytime. Every little bit helps. And I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes, and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's ren, R-E-N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. And you never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace. Peace.